Welcome back, everyone, to the Unsolved Cases from the U.S. series. Tonight, we're diving into three cases from Michigan, one of the states many of you have been waiting for. There is a lot to cover tonight, but before we begin, I wanted to share that I've updated the playlist for this series. If you're wondering if I've covered a case or a certain state, just check out that playlist that will be linked at the end of the video. Now, let's begin. The Murder of Allie Brueger Allie was a nurse, and in order to stay fit, she'd run 10 miles every morning. It was during her run on the 30th of July 2016 while heading down Fish Lake Road in Oakland that she was shot and killed. A witness reported hearing four shots and four shotgun casings were found, but only one of them connected. A neighbor came to Allie's side and administered CPR until the authorities and first responders arrived, but Allie had already passed away. Allie was a well-respected and loved woman in the community, and so the search for who took her life was quickly underway. Unfortunately, there didn't seem to be much in the way of tips or evidence that would quickly move the case forward, and just after two and a half months after Allie was killed and a reward was offered, for information leading to an arrest. An article from October 2016 stated, Police are hoping a reward increased to $10,000 brings a break in the case. It also makes mention of a white or light-colored four-door car that was around the area when Allie was shot. As time continued to tick on, one suspect was named, Wes Sutherland, Allie's ex-boyfriend who she met while working at the Providence Park Hospital. He was also an employee there. In an interview done with Crime Watch Daily, Chris Hansen spoke to Wes about the two polygraph tests Wes took in connection to the murder of Allie. The first test was said to be inconclusive, while Wes failed the second one. One of the questions, of course, was, did you kill Allie Brueger? When asked about his failing of the test, Wes says, I don't believe I failed the test. I believe it was an intimidation tactic. Following this, he makes a statement saying that he believed that Allie's father was the one who shot and killed her. Of course, the parents have denied this, saying it was absurd and painful. It just wasn't Wes that stated this, however. Lieutenant Michael Shaw stated that they have interviewed Wes numerous times already, but noted that, unfortunately, as you rule people out and have a very solid alibi, everybody is a suspect, including mom and dad right now. One article from the Livingston County Daily Press stated that there was evidence at the scene that indicated the person who took Allie's life knew her personally, not to mention the fact they most likely knew her route. Some theories not involving the parents or Wes include the idea of a failed abduction. I find this fairly hard to believe. Allie was said to be 4'9 and under 100 pounds. She wouldn't have been a threat to anyone, so a shotgun would have been, and was, overkill. Given that, with the shotgun being the weapon used, I feel like this was a very personal attack. If you believe you have any information that can lead to an arrest, the reward is now sitting at over $12,000. To submit information, you can call 855-MITCH-TIP or 800-SPEAK-UP. The Abduction of Dwan Sims 
December 11, 1994 was the day Dwana Harris's life would change forever. It was that day her and her four-year-old son Dwan were shopping at the Wonderland Mall located in Livonia, Michigan. According to her story, she and Dwan were walking along a corridor between the Target and main area of the mall when Dwan just vanished. He was there one moment and gone the next. This was at 2.30 p.m. Dwan hasn't been seen since that day. With cases of abduction, especially ones that take place in such a populated area like a mall, one of the first people looked to are the parents who were with the child. And this case was no different. Duana was questioned not long after the story broke and was given two polygraph tests. She failed both. I suggest taking that with a grain of salt, of course. Polygraphs can't even be used as evidence in court, but it is worth noting. Also worth noting is that the police were quick to try and find one. An article from 1995 speaks about the search, saying, During the next few days, hundreds of tips poured in. Dozens of federal, state, and local law enforcement officers searched on foot, horseback, and in planes for Dwan. They interviewed witnesses and scoured hours of mall videotape. No trace of Dwan. There were numerous leads, but all eventually phased out. One in particular was the report of a woman living in South Carolina with a son whose name was similar to Dwan's. The young boy was said to be acting disoriented, and reports said the woman lived in Michigan before moving to South Carolina. That, unfortunately, turned out to have no connection to Dwan's case. It was now a year later, and no trace of Dwan could be found anywhere, even on the mall's security tapes. This is when Dwan's mother was placed in the spotlight. The Charlie Project page for Dwan states, Authorities stated that they did not believe Harris's story and believed Dwan was never at the Wonderland Mall with his mother the day he disappeared. No witnesses saw him there, and he didn't show up on tapes from the mall's 12 surveillance cameras either. Witnesses didn't see Harris arrive at the mall alone at 3.30 p.m., an hour after she says Dwan disappeared. Of course, Dwan holds strong that she had nothing to do with his disappearance. This claim from police, of course, caused quite the friction between police and Dwan's family. In the 1995 article we spoke of before, that strained relationship between police and the family, which accused police of likening Dwana Harris to Susan Smith, the South Carolina woman on trial for drowning her two sons. The article does go on to state that the relationship between the police and Dwan's family has since mended. Duan's case sat silent for some time before his mother appeared back in the news in 1996. She had since remarried her last name now, Jackson. The article mentions that she was being released following her arrest during a domestic dispute. The mother of Duan Sims, the four-year-old boy whose reported disappearance at Livonia Shopping Mall sparked an ongoing nationwide search, was released from jail Tuesday after she threatened her husband, with two kitchen knives during a domestic dispute. The argument was said to start after her husband took his child from a previous marriage shopping with him, but did not take their daughter, who was just five months old at the time. Of course, this article most likely swayed the perception of Dwana regarding her son's disappearance, but police said what she does in Westland is not relevant to Dwan's Sims case. It's apples and oranges. Following this, the case fell into the back of everyone's mind once again. 
There were no new reports on the case and nothing involving the mother that warranted a mention in the news until December of 2019. On the 11th of that month, what happened to be the 25-year anniversary of Dwan's abduction, a man named Mike Cash came to police saying he believed that he was the young man who went missing 25 years ago. He offered up a DNA sample and even spoke to Dwan's mother over the phone where she spoke to him about things only Dwan and her would have known. It's reported that Mike was unable to verify if he was Dwan, noting he wasn't able to verify a birthmark or even the date of birth. I do find this kind of odd though. At four years old, I'm not sure I would have known what a birthmark was or if I could have told you the day I was born. If this is Duan, the individuals who abducted him could have easily convinced him his birthday was on a different day. Kids are very easily manipulated, especially at only age four. All that aside, police have said they have both Duan's mother and father's DNA on file and have been submitted to the University of Northern Texas for analysis. As of December 16th, 2019, the most recent article I can find, there have been no new updates about the identification. With that said, police say the test could take up to three months to come back. If the test come back and this man is Duan, it will be one of the biggest stories we've seen in some time. It isn't every day a person who's been missing for over 20 years just walks back into their loved one's lives. Until then, I do urge you to submit any info you have that you think can help in this case. You can contact the Livonia Police at 734-421-2900. The Death of Eric Cross When so many of you came to me about Eric's case, I knew I wanted to look into it. Now that I know many of the details, I can see why you all wanted me to get this case out there. It's incredibly tragic. Eric's story begins in June of 1983 when he was just 20 years old. In articles just days after his death states, A 20-year-old Vicksburg man killed in a hit-and-run accident in Kalamazoo County was amongst at least eight people who died this weekend in traffic accidents on Michigan roads. Eric Cross died about 5.47 a.m. Sunday after he was struck by a vehicle while he walked along a road about a mile south of Vicksburg. Authorities say there are no known witnesses to the accident. What the article left out is that Eric was just outside of his home when this took place. His father was reported to have been the one who found him. Also not mentioned was why Eric was walking home so early in the morning. The night before, he'd been at a party and was said to be intoxicated, though it isn't reported what his blood alcohol level actually was. As time ticked on, the case took a slight turn. Police began thinking instead of a hit and run, this was a stunt that took an incredibly grisly turn. Before this, though, two witnesses had come forward saying they saw Eric making conversation with unknown individuals in two separate cars while at a gas station the night he was killed. The theory is that Eric was taking part in an activity known as hood surfing. The person participating would hold on to the hood of a car while the person inside would drive down the road. At the time of Eric's murder, it was a very common occurrence and had taken lives before. They theorized at the time that Eric must have lost his handling on the hood, slipped off, and was run over by the car. The scene would have been staged to look like a hit and run. 
Unfortunately, that lead didn't pan out. No one came forward, and still hasn't for over 30 years. It wouldn't be until 2016 that a break came in the case, though it wasn't reported what it was. A writer for Click on Detroit spoke with Kalamazoo County Undersheriff Paul Matias in 2017, who said, Last year, we definitely caught a big break in the case. We're definitely a lot further along with the investigation than we were even a year ago. The year before, 2015, police actually named a person of interest, a man named Britton Spaulding. Spaulding actually had quite the record and even as recently as 2017 was arrested on separate charges, those being domestic violence and home invasion after he assaulted his ex-girlfriend. Police are still saying that Spaulding is a person of interest, along with five other men who haven't been named, as far as I've seen. As a matter of fact, in June of 2019, the Kalamazoo Sheriff's Office spoke with the prosecutor's office in hopes of filing charges against Spaulding and the five other men, but they were never filed. The case was sent to be reviewed by the Michigan Attorney General's Office in February of 2019, where they stated they would review the case. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be enough there to press charges against Spaulding and the other five men. An article published online by Wood TV stated, The Michigan Attorney General's Office will not pursue charges in decades-old cold case, Death of Eric Cross. They go on to give a brief of the case so far before showing the statement given to Eric's family. The statement read, We know this is a heartbreaking decision for the Cross family, but there is simply not enough evidence to criminally charge any of the remaining suspects with the death of Eric Cross. We can only imagine the decades of pain and anguish they have experienced, and we wish we were able to make a different decision. We did everything we could in this case, including re-interviewing witnesses, but it is clear that we will never know the truth about the tragic circumstances that led to the death of Eric Cross that night, more than 36 years ago. The article ends saying that Eric's case is still open and active. If you do believe you have anything that could help Eric's family and friends bring those who did this to justice, don't hesitate to report it to authorities. You can call the Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Department at 269-383-8821. I want to give a quick thank you to everyone who took some time out of their night, their day, or their afternoon to sit down and listen to these stories. Whether you're watching the video here or you're listening over on Anchor just with the audio, either one is totally fine, and I appreciate you either way. Uh, All three of these cases were all very heavily suggested by you all, so I am happy to cover cases you all want me to talk about and All three of these are just incredibly tragic. Um, I really, really hope uh, some of these cases see big developments soon, Uh, specifically Eric and um, Allie's case. It seems like there there may be enough there to come up with something, but, you know, we only know what's told to us. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know how far away or how close police are to finding out any answers to any questions we can just we can just sit back and hope and um continue to share everyone's stories when we can so again thank you to everyone who gave who gave these cases a little bit of your time tonight it's greatly greatly appreciated not just because you know it helps out the channel but 
it gets more people hearing about these cases. And that's really what's important here. Uh, Finally, I just want to say thank you to all the patrons and members, everyone who supports the channel monthly. If you want to join them for just a dollar a month, you can do so by clicking the Patreon link in the description or the join button right under the video. Dollar a month, you get videos early. Um, you want to support and grab yourself something from the Teespring store. That's also super helpful. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you all so much for watching. I hope you are having a wonderful day, wonderful night, whatever you're doing. Just be sure to uh, take care of yourself, each other. And as always, stay safe out there.